Hey everyone, welcome back to the Fun Boat Diplomacy Podcast. Right now here in Wrocław, I'm in exam season, so the semesters work a little bit differently here in Europe. So they have winter semesters and summer semesters. So right now I'm in the winter semester that starts in October and ends at the end of January. Exam um, weeks go into February, but uh, all mine are before, so I don't have to worry about being here in February. I'll actually be going to Naples, to Italy. Um, so that's a little bit different than how it's done in the United States, where we have uh, fall, spring, so September to uh, beginning of December, more or less. Anyway, that's, that's pretty boring, um, I guess. I guess this is going to be a way for me to recap what I have to do. So I've had um, a couple presentations already done. One about liberalism and international relations for my Theory of International Relations course. And a presentation on NGOs in my Development Economics course. So this coming week I'll have a exam in development economics, which allegedly is pretty difficult, but yeah, we'll see. I mean, I did all my readings and stuff, and uh, I'm not struggling too hard on that class. Maybe just the exam is, is formulated in a way that fucks people up, uh, or has fucked people up in recent years. Um, this professor's a little bit uh, on the challenging side, but um, economics is not easy. That's why we haven't figured shit out um, in the real world. So it comes to econ yet. Um, and then on Thursday, a presentation on private military contractors, uh, private military firms, PMFs, PMCs. Um, so actually, there's I'm going to have an episode, I think, next week, that will, or either next week or the week after, uh, specifically on that topic with my, uh, with my presentation partner, uh, Boris, who's been on the podcast before. And, and then the week after, the final thing of the semester is, um, is a present, no, not a presentation, an exam on uh, international security, which uh, I think the topic is quite interesting. Um, if I just go into the material that we've gone through, it's, it, it can be rather interesting, but the, the professor is um, maybe, he's not a terrible professor, but basically he... He takes an, like an hour and a half to explain something that could be covered in 10 minutes or less. So that's always, always feels like a waste of time, drains your energy, you're sitting in this like warm fucking classroom. Um, yeah, that's just part of the, of the game. And, um, and what's really fucking goofy, there's a lot of little administrative bureaucratic things uh, little cultural things here in Poland that are really goofy, but uh, number one is uh, waiting in line. They love waiting in line. It's sort of a stereotype here, but it's true. There's there's no there's there's situations where there's no reason there 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 should be a line, like there should be should have been years ago in everybody's business model to to phase out in inefficiencies, but here we are um, in supermarkets, in government bureaucracies, in the university where you have lines and it's, it just doesn't make any sense um and the other thing would be in this case the bureaucratic side which is 
that so we have all our grades on this online platform but uh, rather than having that just be the norm I mean we don't have any paper um, paper proof of our completion of anything in in the states uh, which is I mean it's just how it is now with all this technology don't need it you can access it anywhere why have a piece of paper like a like like a fucking ape um, we, we don't need this but here there is this system but we still need to have this uh, this uh this this it's called an exam card or uh, I think that's what it's called. It's just like sheet that has all your it's like your report card, but instead of the teachers giving you grades printed on there like uh, like a civilized society, you have to kind of go up to each professor after your all your grades are in and have them sign off and put your grade in there by pen, um like a like a child. So you have to go up like you're collecting stamps or some shit, and you go up and get your shit signed. It's it's so it's so archaic and it it reminds me of this I had this uh class this semester on the Cold War, which is the easiest class of all time. Just participation grade. You just raise your hand and ask a question about monetary policy and you're good to go. <clears throat> but in that class we learned about during the uh <clears throat> during the the time of the uh communist government in Poland you had ration cards, and the ration cards. Um, the the professor brought in an example from the time, the from his family, of, of a of a petrol ration card. So you've got your ration card each month, and when you purchase, um, when you purchase a, a liter of petrol, you get that card stamped as part of the transaction, and then that's your allowance for the. Um, <clears throat> for the month and of course there's people trying to uh wash out each of the stamps so that they go go back and get another liter of uh, of petrol and this is just the um the the logical the logical conclusion the logical um steps that a that that a planned economy takes it always leads to shortages because you are fucking with the market and uh i don't want to i don't want to get started on on the the beauty of a free market and the complete catastrophe of a planned economy you, know, you can look at the headlines uh and and articles going on right now in venezuela where they have more than 4000% inflation um i'm not going to get into that I'm not going to get into that today because i want to get into the meat of this episode um so if you want some economics talks, maybe that'll come up uh, in an, another episode in the future. But today, this, in just this introduction, <laughs> I don't want to go too long on economics. Uh, I get real fired up about it, um, if you didn't know that already. So um, this week's episode will be... Well, let's, let's look into the future a bit. Um, so this coming week... Actually, the exam season is not that... It's not that... Uh, challenging actually so episodes will be coming out normally i don't know if i'll be recording that many episodes with the guests but um should be an episode a week uh as as i have planned for myself so this week's episode it was recorded um with my friend Hemen Hussein and uh, he is from 
Iraqi Kurdistan, and it was a really, really interesting talk. Um, I have sort of a, a, a strange interest in in the Middle East because it's the it's just a fascinating region, and it's a place that my country seems to be obsessed with getting the uh, pointing their noses into. Uh, but on its own right, it's it's quite fascinating. And uh, and this past September, uh, so September twenty fifth, I believe, I was I was in Berlin at the time. <clears throat> but there was a referendum for Iraqi Kurdistan to separate from Iraq proper, and uh, we'll we'll get into the, the details about about Iraq and Kurdistan and and all these things in the episode. So. Uh, I hope you enjoy this week's episode with Hemin Hussein. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Fun Boat Diplomacy podcast. I'm here today with Hemin Hussein. Hemin, welcome. Thank you very much. And you want to introduce yourself real quick? Uh, well, I'm Hemin. I'm from Kurdistan. Uh, it's a region of Iraq. We're not independent, but... I usually, because I'm Kurdish, I usually say I'm from Kurdistan, so that's it. Yeah, and do you want to explain a bit uh, what Kurdistan is to people who don't know? Yeah, well, we were a country before in the history, but, uh, you know, a lot of uh, political things happened, and we have been partitioned by the neighboring countries, Iraq, Turkey, Turkey Syria, and Iran. Uh, so until now, we couldn't get our independent again, so... We are just like four or five regions, but we are about like 50 million people, but yeah. we still don't have any country. So to, to put it into a geographic context, it would be north northern Iraq, and then south, south southeast Turkey, Turkey yeah. and then also northern northeast Syria, and then uh, northwest Iran as well. That's that's All perfect that, yeah, location, yeah, that's... Yeah, and wh since when? When was it? You said it was a country at at some point, or no? Uh yeah, yeah. When uh, was that? Because I know during the Ottoman times it was. I. It was not. I wouldn't know so much about that, but I think before the. Even before the First World War, uh, or maybe after between the two world wars, uh, there was a. A contract like a huge treaty between uh, Russia, Turkey, U.S. I think the U.N. as well. So uh, this happened, and then just the country got partitioned by the all neighboring countries. Each got a part for himself, yeah. and now like each has a region. And usually they say that Kurdistan does not even exist, uh, but it's not true because we have our own language and culture and. Even the religion before the whole invasion of Islam, uh, so we are real, but that's what they don't think. And how does it work with between uh, Kurdish regions between different countries? So, for example, were you able to go to the Turkish, uh, Kurdistan, uh, yes, and then, like yes. Iranian and, and Syrian at the time? Yeah, but for me, like we are the northern part of Iraq. We are a region of Iraq, so we have to have a Iraqi passport. But the region of Turkey, they have Turkish passport. So basically, if you want to go to the Kurdish part of Turkey, you're going to have to have a Tur uh, Turkish visa. 
or maybe not, uh, but that's how it works. Even though it's the same culture? It's the same culture and everything, but uh, like the Turkey th thinks that it's not even a region. It is just like some crazy people thinks they are not Turkish anymore and they're actually from the mountains, which is a creepy idea. It's not how it is. They're like millions of people. They can't just all be insane and think this way. We have a history. We have a actual, actually an ancient history, but well, that happens and now we're not a country anymore. Have you traveled to the other parts of uh, prison that aren't in part um, of Iraq? No, unfortunately. Like, I've, I've been to Baghdad maybe once. Uh, but I mean, usually, other, other Kurdish regions? The other Kurdish regions, uh, no, unfortunately, I I never had time because of studying and then university and then master and works. But it would be cool to visit, yeah. What was it like growing up in, in Iraqi Kurdistan? How would you... It's, it's actually amazing, like the, the Iraqi region of, like the Kurdistan part of Iraq, it's just amazing, like the whole situation is pretty much safe, safer than the whole other Rest part of, of Iraq. Uh, even after uh, like 2001 and uh, that that happenings, events. Uh, so it's pretty safe and the country is very beautiful, that region. Uh, my city, which I'm from, Slemani city, uh, it's like surrounded by a chain of mountains and the city is right in the middle. It's not a big city, like one, two million people living there, which makes it a very small city. And when you go on top of the mountains, like you can see the whole city, like you just have one view in front of you. It's just stunning. And just, I would like to explain this because usually people, when, when you say Kurdistan and you say it's a region of Iraq, they think of it as Iraq, which is not. Uh, the situation is like 100% different. It's 100% safe uh, living in Kurdistan, the whole city, Slemani, Erbil, and the Hawk, uh, which is not the same case living in Iraq, like Mosul or Baghdad or Basra, these cities. So usually people ask about the security, but I would really like to explain that since 2001 or even before, there has not been like one single terrorist activity in the whole region of Kurdistan. So it could be even safer than Europe because since the past two, three years, there has been a lot of incidents and attacks in the Europe, mm. especially in Germany and Belgium. Mm. But there's nothing... France especially. France yes. as well, yeah. Even something happened in the UK too, so... Mm -hmm. But in the Kurdistan, nothing happens. Like, it's totally safe. Um, do you know what the experience was of uh, the Iraqi Kurdish area? I, I know in the... In the 80s, there was, well, Saddam Hussein used uh, chemical weapons up there in, in that region. And then uh, in the 90s, there was the uh, the global sanctions on the whole country. How was, do you know much about the, um, the 80s and 90s in the Kurdish areas uh, of Iraq? Well, I was born in the 90s, 1991. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, of course, everyone knows the history. Uh, in the late 80s, uh, the the Iraqi central government, which were like leaded by the Saddam Hussein, uh, they were always considering us as an enemy because we were always saying that we are Kurdish, we're not Arabs, we're not from Iraq. You took our land, you partitioned. So 
That was the case. They was all they were always considering us as an enemy, and so they even tried like to eliminate us on the world map. They used chemical weapons and some other biological weapons too. Uh, it's crazy. Like one time in 1988, they used uh, a chemical weapon against uh, one city of the Kurdistan region. It's called Halabja. They actually killed like in five minutes, five thousand people died. They were all civilian, no guns, nothing, just kids from kids to parents to everyone. Like in a few seconds, everyone just died. And until to this day, the, the like the after results uh, of the chemical weapon still stays in their in the like the new generation's DNA, and it still affects them in many ways. It's a terrible story to tell, but that's actually the case. And in one of the uh, other attacks of Saddam Hussein's regime was, they were called Anfal. It's actually a literal word taken from the Holy Book of Islam, Quran. It means, uh, like, it doesn't have any meaning in English, but I can explain it in a line. It's like... Uh, when you are in a war with somebody and you, you win the war, uh, you take everything. So everything belongs to you after that, from the guns, the swords, whatever. So that word is literally mean that. Like, a, like the, the, I think the English translation, the best translation we could find, we can get it from IR in game theory. It's zero-sum game. So when you win, you win it all. You yeah, take win it, it all. all, exactly. So the word just exactly mean that and... They used that little world to actually bury like uh, like 100,000 or 200,000 people alive. Still, again, kids, parents, people like civilian people who doesn't even fight against the regime or doesn't even have a gun or anything. They just put them down like they were actually trying to eliminate the Kurdish people on the ears, which is really creepy. Yeah, you have to, uh, for those of you who don't know, that it's in the context of the Iran-Iraq war where the United States, CIA, provided Saddam Hussein with these weapons. With the chemical weapons. And, uh, so, and yeah. you can see videos. It's so strange. You see videos of Donald Rumsfeld, who was uh, head of CIA at the time, I think. Uh, he is shaking hands with Saddam Hussein, handing over these chemical weapons. And he is the d defense secretary in 2003 when... The, the United yeah. States and it does Gulf War too, and uh, it's just really a, a, I mean if you want to see the origins of what what's what what happened with the disaster of United States foreign policy in the Middle East you, you need to look nowhere that then the first thing is that uh, is the uh, the Iranian Revolution and then the second thing and just in recent memory would be the um, the Iran Iraq War and then giving literally helping out um, Saddam Hussein uh, because he is against Iran at this time. Absolutely, he was their ally. And then he comes, he ally, and then he he goes and uses these chemical weapons on his uh, well, his not his own people really, but inside his country, people he exactly he's, uh, he, they're under his jurisdiction and. Uh, did you know if in 2003 they, the United States, if they used this as a as a reason to go to war? Because they always we always said that um, Saddam Hussein was the uh, Iraq was one of the axis of evil 
I don't know if they ever used the uh, chemical what use of chemical weapons in the Kurdish region as a reason, um, but on the one hand, it would make sense because they said weapons of mass destruction. That's why we're invading. On the yeah. other hand, it wouldn't make sense because we gave them to him. But well, that's the point. Who who Saddam? Where did he get the weapon of mass destruction? Yeah. He actually got it from With them. The so States. now invading them for that reason. Uh, even for me as a Kurdish, which we were totally against the Saddam Hussein's policy against the Kurdish, it wouldn't still make sense. You gave it to them for some times and now you just don't need them anymore. You just attack the whole country and invade it for that. Okay. It's pretty crazy. And there's not, uh, because it's so north, was there much of an experience of the first Gulf War in the Kurdish region? Uh, I, I don't know what you mean. The in the 90s when the first George Bush, uh, when they had a short, very short war in uh, with Saddam Hussein when he invaded Kuwait. Yeah, yeah, and there, there is also that story because uh, they actually invaded Kuwait, uh, maybe for the oil or for whatever the reason oil was. Oil yes. Uh, so, and also the, the, the U.S. like attacked and like just saved Kuwait out of Saddam Hussein's hand, uh, but then like they somehow stayed as allies again uh, because there was, was... Was there a, was there something affecting during this war, was there something affecting the Kurdish regions, or was it? Uh, no, no. The, the Kuwait war had nothing to do with the Kurdish region. Yeah. I think there was nothing. At the that only time. thing I could think of would be that uh, oil pipelines, but it doesn't really. That's not really part of the Kurdish. Uh, uh, no, no. Even until the, to this moment, like the Iraq central government just take care of all the oils mm -hmm. and the contracts, and as the Kurdish region, like after two thousand one, since Saddam died and all that. And we became somehow independent, not literally, but somehow, because we have our own parliament and small government inside. Uh, we we have a we have like a some percent budget in the whole budget of Iraq. It's like seventeen percent, seventy point something. That's what we get. So like the Kurdish people uh, doesn't do any business or anything to do with the oil. It's all going back to the Iraqi central government. They, they just give a share to the Kurdish people as well. Is that accepted? Yes, it has been accepted for for a long time, as I say, since two thousand one and two, uh, which is good. But still, there's a lot of corruption even inside the Kurdish region and the political parties that run in the country, that are running the region. Uh, like the situation was not so bad, uh, but still, you know, everywhere is corruption and the money does not go to the people like totally. Yeah, so do the people, I imagine that the people don't really accept this uh, uh, Iraqi central government rule. Uh, well, even if we wouldn't accept it, like there's nothing you can do about it because uh, since we're not independent, uh, as at, for example, like this year, we just had a referendum, just a referendum, nothing else. And now all the flights are banned or the business is just stopping. So just because of this, just because of thinking about the idea of getting independent mm -hmm. and not only Iraqi people, Iran also closed the border, Turkey closed everything. So right now the situation in Kurdistan is not very good. Uh, the people are stuck between the, the, like the bad neighboring countries and also the the corruption inside just there is no life anymore actually there
Yeah, just wanna, getting worse and worse. I want to uh, trace this back to so we left off when we were talking earlier at the Gulf War. Not really anything going on. Was there? You were born around the nineties, right? Nineteen ninety-one. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, well, what was the experience? Was there? Uh, what was the experience in the Kurdish region as it pertains to the sanctions? Because I know that a lot of there's just a lot of shortages of things in the 90s because they couldn't trade uh, so freely with the outside world. Um, yeah, actually, the the whole situation was not very good at that years because uh, as the Kurdish people, we have the Kurdish army called the Peshmerga. Uh, we were always fighting against the Iraqi regime and Saddam Hussein. And also they were in a, like even before they were in a war against Iran, so it was like everywhere is a war, and sometimes even the the rockets that has been shot by Iran could hit the cities of the uh, Kurdistan region. There has been a lot of people dying in that uh, cases. So yeah, it it was always affecting, and also like in the year that I was born, uh, because the Saddam regime they were always like attacking the Kurdish Peshmerga. And sometimes they were also attacking the civilian. So every time they were attacking, we, as the Kurdish people, we had to run away to the borders of Iran. Because, uh, as, like, the, the political parties in Kurdistan uh, somehow has a good relation with, Irani, with Iran. So every time that happened, we had to run away at least to the borders of Iran. Or some sometimes we just got inside there, like, getting a place to live until the situation gets better and then we came back it happens like a few times and I remember the year look look not like I remember but my mom always said like she was pregnant with me when that happened so they were running to the Iranian border just walking or getting a car not even a car there was not a car at that time so and the experience growing up there did you did your family and your neighbors experience how how the the sanctions affected Iraq or was Kurdistan operating a little bit differently from the rest of Iraq because I know that about half a million children starved to death in Iraq in the 90s because yeah. of the sanctions uh, how was it in Kurdistan it was I, like they could like uh, like count Kurdistan as as a part of that uh, situation as well so yeah there there has been a lot of uh, sad stories um, I've I haven't done so much research about that as to give you a number but, but yeah, we were also a part of that war, so... But, the, when, but when you were growing up, it wasn't like you felt so um, affected by the... You had enough to eat? Uh, yeah, yeah, no. The, like, after the 90 to 91 and after that, I think the situation gotten better. Um, even with the, the Saddam Hussein regime, somehow they got into a agreement that he would let us go as the Kurdish to leave in the north part of Iraq. Uh, so we don't attack them and they don't attack us. And after that, there has not been any like wars between the Kurdish and the Iraqi people and the Iraqi army. Uh, so I don't remember any starvation. But before that, before my year, yeah, there was a lot of things like yeah, this. I don't know if you know, they, they at, at one point, this was in the mid-90s with, uh, with Bill Clinton, and uh, the United States had sanctions so that the that the that Iraq couldn't trade freely with the rest of the world. Yeah. And uh, they asked 
Secretary of State Madeleine Albright. Uh, this was a reporter. She, she asked Madeleine Albright, said, so there's reports that about half a million children are starving to death in Iraq. Is this worth it? And she, she says, yes, we think this is worth it. And this is, this is the scary part of, um, of high command, or uh, high politics, as we called it in our, our little project before. But, um, is you, you stop seeing them <clears throat> as people. These are children. You look at a baby. That's, it's, not, it's terrible if one baby dies from starvation. But yeah. imagine half a million. Half a million. And, and just, she just says, like, oh, it, it's, it's worth, worth it somehow. Yeah. How is it worth it? And then, yeah, as, as I was saying, you want to trace back the, the, the grievance of people in the Middle East against the United States. You, you can trace it back to Iranian Revolution, Iran-Iraq War, and then the sanctions. This, like, uh, Osama bin Laden sent a, a letter to, to, uh, to the United States government. He said, look, after the, after the first Gulf War, you didn't leave. You guys didn't leave, and you're sanctioning Iraq, killing, killing Muslims. What? If you don't change, we have to do something about this. He he told the United States government. And I didn't actually know about that. Yeah, you can look it up. It's called letter wow. letter to America. I think yeah, it's by Saddam Hussein. Letter to America. He told them exactly what he would do, <laughs> and nobody listened. Nobody listened. It's crazy. Um, and then we can fast forward now to two thousand three. Um, what was the Kurdish experience of the uh, American uh, invasion and occupation of, of the country? Uh, I'd, I'd say most of the Kurdish people was very happy about that because they were not taking the situation as invading Iraq for, for no reason or liberation. For, uh, but they were like, we're going to be free, like more freedom because... Saddam Hussein regime will go to end and somehow it's actually a positive point for the Kurdish no matter what happens after which now we know it, it was not so good but at that days we were actually like most of the people were quite happy about the situation they were like yes go America it's so good just kill them all or just at least save us from them he's a dictator and all that but actually the situation of and the, live, the life of people before Saddam Hussein was, like, with Saddam Hussein was much better than after the whole invasion of Iraq. Because then, after 2001 and after that, the whole terrorism starts to happen in Iraq. Otherwise, before that, there was no one single, uh, like, explosion or anything like that. And it was and almost every day. If you yeah. watch the news, it's uh, at the time. It was, it, it was just crazy. Like all of a sudden, everyone just starts exploding himself as as if it's a good thing. And um, I just can't imagine how that happened and who did that. But it's just crazy. Like before, before, before two thousand one, there's no terrorists. We didn't even know the word. And now, even even to this day. Always, like every day, an explosion or two or three or ten happens in most of the cities of Iraq, like the south part, but not in Kurdistan region. There's in nothing. in uh, in the in 2003 when the United States invaded, was there was a force of uh, the coalition troops who, who were in the Kurdish region, right? Or I don't remember now. I do remember that the British were around Basra, but then yeah. I, I th 
I don't know if any coalition forces actually were around the Kurdish region. I would imagine they might have been because of the oil. Uh, they know, they were in in the Kirkuk. Kirkuk. Kirkuk, which is like the richest city of oil in the whole Iraq, and it actually belongs to the Kurdish because most of the people are Kurdish and the culture and everything. But because it's very rich of oil, not even Iraq is like very greedy about that city. Even Turkey, Turkey is like considering the city himself because there are some also some Turkish people living there, came back from the Ottoman Empire and after that. So it's just crazy. Is Kirkuk uh, close to the border with Turkey? Uh, no, it? not very much. It's actually very close. As to, I remember, it's deeper, like south than. Uh, it's actually like I would say in the middle of the Kurdistan region, yeah. and uh, it's it's actually yeah, it's closer than to Turkey than Baghdad. Okay. So yeah, it's closer than to Turkey than Iraq, but uh, still, it's actually a Kurdish city. But uh, even in the uh, the Book of Rules of Iraq. I don't know how how is the name. Constitution. Or yeah, that one. Uh, something. They they just call this is not only Kirkuk. There's like a few other cities there. They call it like the disagreement parts of Iraq, which they are not even sure if it belongs to the Kurdish or the Iraqi. So they just they just made an agreement to live in there piece by piece, have the Kurdish army, have the Iraqi army as well. And there's also some Turkish people living there, so Turkey has something to do. So going back to your question, uh, yeah, there was uh, some some U.S. army like um, staying there um, around 2003, until even 2010 or something like that. 11 is when the U.S. left. When, when they supposedly left. Supposed to. Yeah. Do you, you know why? They had to supposed supposedly leave, right? Yeah, because of you a know. lot of people don't know. A lot of people. I remember watching it happen. I was in university. I was watching. We were all watching it on TV, and uh, so it was President Obama at the time. And you see all these uh, um, jeeps leaving the base, and it was like uh, it's like oh, finally after this many years of war in Iraq, we're finally coming home or something like this. Is this is the narrative on the media for the U.S. Yeah. And I was like. Are you sure? What did you? What did you accomplish? Did you accomplish something? I, I had to ask myself. And I looked into it. and I was like, Oh, you, you just the Iraqi government was sick of you committing war crimes. <laughs> yeah, that and also you know because there was also like more futures, more future plans for what's what will happen after two thousand ten and eleven in Iraq. I think that's also another reason why they just took all, most of the troops out of the Iraq and all of a sudden this ISIL and ISIS came to being from out of nowhere and it gotten so big that it just like almost invaded the whole Iraq like they just got most of the cities like Mosul was one of the biggest cities in Iraq how they invaded that how they managed to do that it's just unbelievable what was behind that, I wouldn't know, or maybe so. Well, it was the United States tried to train the Iraqi army, but they gave a lot more money and training to AQAP, Al-Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula, who later on there was a split into uh, the yeah. IS. 
and uh, and so the very untrained, ill-equipped Iraqi army in Mosul uh, was just terrified of these these crazy fucks, because... and so they left. And I remember this was I think last fall, a year ago. I think it was watching on actually the Iraqi army has a Twitter account, yeah. and they're like, okay, we're gonna. We got like 50,000 troops about to go into Mosul. And I was like, this is crazy. Just watching war plans happen on Twitter. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, the, the, the funny thing about creating ISIS was, like, I remember the first attack they have done. They had, actually, they also had a Twitter account. Right. As ISIL. Like, it was a very small attack on some parts of Syria, between Syria and Iraq. And they claimed that it was them. Then, like, after one month, the whole ISIS just gotten so big and they just took over the Mosul city. I was like, what the hell? How come this? Like, they were just a small terrorist group who were using Twitter and claiming that they just done, like, killed a few people. And now they're invading the whole Iraq, actually. even the whole the territory. Yeah. It was just... Crazy, yeah. Were you living uh, in Iraq at the time? Yes, I was in Iraq. I was in Kurdistan. Uh, actually, they got very close to even the Kurdish border because they were almost in Kirkuk. And at that time, because the Iraqi army, they just withdrawing everywhere. So they did not even shoot a bullet. So the only army was actually fighting really against the ISIS was the Kurdish Peshmerga. And it was actually all over the mainstream media, like CNN, BBC, everyone was that talking about they were about defending. That yeah, they were actually Iraq. defending the whole Iraq. And then Pakakan uh, and Yepaja from, which, has, which is also like Kurdish armies, Peshmergas from the Kurdish part of Syria and the Kurdish part of Turkey, they were also like helping a lot in that situation. Otherwise, they could have even like take over Kurdistan as well. It was just so creepy, like... So you were living there, what was the... Did they get anywhere close to where you were like, living? They were actually... Like, I would say they were very close to even my city. I could say three to four hundred kilometers. Uh, hundred thousand. Uh, I'm not really good with the numbers, so... But they were like only one city away from my city. Uh, but still the situation was all safe, like they couldn't make it. They were just trying to attack, but the Peshmerga was actually very strong, so they just never made it. So this whole time, when this was happening, you had complete faith that they would never get anywhere near you. Yes, yes. So we, we were like just very calm. Like I was living my life. I was having a job. Uh, we were actually having a international film festival in the Slemani city. Uh, like I was the communication manager. I was supposed to, like I was responsible to contact film festivals all, all over the world and invite them to Slemanisti. Uh, and it had actually made my job harder because they were always asking about the security and the safety of the place because they knew what's going on. Uh, and of course the mainstream media always make it like so much bigger than it is. So they were freaking out, but I had to always explain that there's nothing, my city is very safe. They are very away from us, and our army is very stronger, so they can never make it. Uh, but still, uh, it was a like a hard job to do to explain to everyone, especially like it's it was really, crazy. It's really interesting. Yeah. It's really interesting that, and 
I took my understanding and what I see, what I saw in the news was, this is a really dangerous situation, but the day to day was just like, this is kind of inconvenient for my job. <laughs> yeah. But uh, it's, it's, it's how I actually, when I visited uh, Israel, I, I kind of felt, because in the news, anytime it has to do with Israel, it's always about some sort of conflict, uh, yeah, you know, Palestine. And, but that's really not how it feels like in, when you're there. When you're um, there. Even, when you're, even when you're on the border, even when you're passing through, well, I was passing through uh, the West Bank to get to the, the Dead Sea. It didn't, it didn't ever seem like the way it is in the news. Um, of course, that's real, but it's uh, the day-to-day -day of, of, uh, of reality is always it seems to always be more uh calm than what is in the news just like i mean i i don't know if you when you're watching um the what's going on in the united states with yes. uh maybe let's say right-wing <clears throat> nationalists uh white supremacists and then the super left-wing people clashing on the streets uh didn't really see that it's the never like US that when you live in yeah. yeah even here you remember on independence day here in poland they said there's all the things going on. That the the news, international news, was all about how in Warsaw there was uh, there's all these uh, like right wing people coming out and marching. Thirty thousand something. Yeah. I did like read a, an article about that, but which yeah. yeah, which is totally true. I'm not I'm not saying it's not the truth. But a friend of mine uh, messaged me. She said, "What's going on in Poland?" I'm like, I look out the window, nothing's going on. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, so it's really interesting uh, what's highlighted in the media. It, yeah. It's it's not wrong. It's just, it's not every day. It's not the day-to-day -day, uh, lifestyle. We don't see it. Uh, I, didn't even, I didn't even go outside on Independence Day, truth be told, I think. I didn't see anything. Um, that's, that's correct. Yeah. So between 2003 and now, was uh, did you have any uh, experience of the international uh, turmoil that we see in the news or were you just living life and it was pretty much pretty mm, calm it was pretty calm yeah nothing was happening and it was actually like the situation was getting better because uh, we were like assured that the Iraqi regime will not attack us again so we wouldn't have to worry about that as before the 90s we were always worried. like every night you were sleeping you would have thought they would come tonight. So, okay. So that's it. when was the agreement? They came to that agreement in the nineties. Nineteen ninety one. After. So in your whole life, basically, there was this sort of um, assurance that Peace the regime, security, the pretty much, yeah. So throughout the whole time. Until yeah, until uh, two thousand fourteen and the the appearance of ISIS. Yeah, but nothing, no threat from the the state of Iraq. No, no, no spread. Yeah, it was pretty safe and. I think the the living of the people was pretty good. Uh, money was good. The job opportunity was. There's always like corruption, but the money was enough for everyone to have a good life, and it was quite easy to find a job for everyone if you wanted. But you know, there's always some lazy people. They just um, blame the government, blame everyone else for what they are not doing. It's, a, it's like that everywhere. Yeah. So, <laughs> but yeah. So it's it's different. It's really interesting that in Kurdistan it was so calm and you know there's opportunities. People you're having film festivals, and then in the same country, it could be so bad. Like it was uh, during like, yeah, 2006 yeah. and something. When uh, when when was it that you visited? Uh, you said you visited Baghdad before. 
actually it was it was very recent uh, and it was not actually a visit because still the the whole situation in Baghdad is not safe there's always a explosions and attacks so it was actually just a few months ago when I had to come to Poland for my masters uh, our flight were banned because of the latest referendum that we have done so I had to cancel my ticket which was directly from my region Slemanisti to to Qatar and then to Poland so I had to have a transit in Baghdad but we had a referendum so we were basically again enemies of them I was actually freaking out like in the Baghdad airport it was just a transit but I was very careful even I tried to speak Arabic so that they wouldn't know I'm a Kurdish because uh, they were actually considering us as enemy again because we wanted to be independent from them. So yeah, it was not a good uh, So it was just trying to you never like walked around in Baghdad before? No, 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 never, never. I've never been there and I don't think I want to go there anytime soon. Yeah, it's a real shame. I, I, I remember learning about, um, uh, I, I did learn the history of, of Iraq in, in university and we were, we were hearing the stories of um, uh, Iraqi Jews back in like the seventies, I think, yeah. and they were just describing how beautiful and how amazing it was to to live in Baghdad at the time and having a tea at the the, the rivers and yeah. and I just it, it really made me sad that that uh, all this uh, it's changed since then and. I wouldn't say I wouldn't want to visit Baghdad, but I just wish it was possible again. And this is actually, it's something that, it's, it's, a, it's this whole region. Um, it used to be safe for people to travel f all throughout the Middle East, Iran, Pakistan, Afghanistan, Afghanistan. all of it. And uh, well, so we, the United States changed some things, and uh, now it's not possible. It's just how, how it's now, and... For, for visiting Baghdad as you wish to do, we're going to need a time travel otherwise, yeah, like a time travel it's, machine. It's, time it's, machine. it's irreversibly otherwise, changed. Otherwise, it's never going to happen again. Like, it will never go back to that good times. Like, even when we're enemies with the Iraq, Saddam Rajin, and he has done a lot of terrible stuff. But now when we think about it, it was always good before his, like, his war and the whole invading of the U.S. Yeah. Because it just got even more terrible and Middle East was just getting worse and worse. And so in, in when you were growing up, going to university, learning about politics, it was what was the view of, uh, of the United States from where you were living? People around, your teachers, for example, people in the media? Well, uh, we have like two very main political parties in Kurdistan. Um, one of them is very is in a very good relationship with the U.S. and the Israel and their allies, and one of them is very close to Iran in in a relationship type of way. Uh, in the Sleimani state, the one who is very close to Iran is like running the place there because they are the majority. Uh, but as the people, except the Islamic people, and we also have like two Islamic parties, 
they're very small but they are something so they could have like uh, 107 people following them and believing in them they were always against the US and their policies and even the people because of the whole religious conflict and all that and when the invasion happened in 2001 they were the one who were against them they knew that it's actually an invasion and there's a bigger agenda behind it but the other parties and their followers were quite happy because US coming to Iraq is a good thing because they are good people, they have a good culture and they are educated and they are trying to help us and save us and that. So yeah, yeah. like I would know US had many enemies from the Kurdistan region, like everyone loved the US and a big part of that was because of their Hollywood uh, of course, and their medias, how they share the culture of the US and how is it, how is it to live there, how is it to be a, an American citizen. Uh, so yeah, nobody would hate them. Even until to this day, if you don't know about the games and the political games that's happening, the the main hand is actually the US, especially the games which is happening in the Middle East. Everyone loves them, everyone loves US. So that's it. Even even the political act they adored Obama. Like, okay, he was a very nice social media guy, but his foreign policies was even terrible before before than him, so it's a disaster. <laughs> like I tell people ask me, like, oh, how do you feel how did you feel about Obama? It's like it's a disaster. It, it, foreign policy is just one part. There's so many other parts, but yeah, the foreign policy he 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 started more wars than George Bush. <laughs> but, but actually, I would say he was quite smart about that part because Bush was actually using their troops and their soldiers to invade some countries, for example, in Iraq. But Obama just used Facebook to destroy all the Middle East and the Arab Spring, yeah. which is amazing via Facebook. Like in Libya, you cannot not just, imagine. Not just Facebook, but yeah, it's, it, yeah, it's, yeah. Like, like before, bef like when George Bush was starting his wars, there was no Facebook. Yeah. So, but now there's this like demon of social media that's really yeah. it's changing the world. It was a big part. Like, it, okay, okay. Like Egypt was not uh, very good. Tunisia, the situation was not very good. Algeria, but Libya, Libya was the utopian country that you could ever wish for. Everyone was safe. Everyone had everything that they, they like they ever wanted, and all of a sudden they just started protesting and going crazy and killing each other in a civil war, and they destroyed the whole country and killed the president. All that. Why? When you think about it, like when you compare the situation before and after what happened, just crazy. Why would you do that if you have everything in your house? Like even the people that were not working, they were getting paid. So what what else do you want more? Do do you know what the what if you say Libya in the United States or to Americans like do you know what they think about first? Uh, I wouldn't know. They think about uh, conspiracy theories. They just think, oh, you're just talking about Hillary Clinton's emails. And I'm like, no, no, not really, because this is a, it's not just a, a, some theory, some political thing. Like I'm not pro Trump. I'm not saying. I'm what I'm what I want to say is. This is a scandal. Like Obama and Hillary, they 
went in and did this with the experience of what happened with U.S. foreign policy in your country. They saw that and they said they either did one of two things. Either they really didn't remember, which would be terrible because Hillary Clinton voted for it. Or they knew what happened in Iraq and they did it anyway. How scary is that this 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 stable let's call it stable um, country in the region, let's just completely knock it down, see what happens. And right now, what you have is um, is not only this like uh, continuing civil war in the north of Libya, you have tribes with thousands of years of of uh, in uh, fighting with each other, starting to fight again. They're well, they're fighting again, and then that's spilling over to uh like mali niger yeah and it's a disaster people they've they've in i think last week there was articles about how um black people are being sold as slaves wow, in what? that area right now right now that's creepy yeah, i mean you know because they have you know people who are more like brown who are more from like north africa type uh, backgrounds, but then there's black people from Niger, from uh, from central, this is like uh, central north of of Africa, and they're being sold as slaves. That's even hard to imagine. Can, like, it's not something that you imagine in 2017, but it's happening, and uh, you got no one else to blame than Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama. Yeah, real creepy. And she made a joke. She was like, I've, I've remembered her she video. Was, yeah, she was in it. Like, she goes, we came, we saw, we lied, died. <laughs> he died. And she starts laughing. Yeah. And it's not a joke. It's like, this is the kind <laughs> That's of person. what happened. This is the kind of person who, uh, I don't know. It, it's The election's over. I don't want to give like Hillary all this attention. But it, there's this whole idea of false equivalencies where they're saying, oh, you can't compare Hillary and Trump. They're both... Like, Hillary is definitely better than Trump. I'm like, not really. Not really. Trump is terrible. But I also can't... I can't trust someone who voted for every single war of my lifetime. Pretty you know much. what I mean? Yeah, like, I Donald know. Trump right now is a disaster. But when he, was, when he was running, he was talking about ending the wars, bringing our troops home, uh, things like this. I don't... I didn't trust him. But at least he was saying stuff like yeah. that. Whereas Hillary Clinton was saying, we need, we need to have a no-fly zone in Syria. Uh, she voted for Iraq. She, she pushed Obama to uh, the, the war in Libya. And, hey, I, I can't trust Donald Trump. That, that gives, that, that's without saying. But I can't trust her either. And so this is why it was such a disaster for, uh, as far as election that's, goes. That's true. Uh... I wouldn't know so much about Trump's background, uh, but uh, like his latest, I think, decision, I'm not sure if it's like 100% correct, uh, but I think like he just decided to put the Iranian Revolutionary Army into the uh, terrorist list of in the world. I've heard something about that. If that's true, <laughs> there will be something between them. And I think it, it also has to do with the latest Kurdish referendum uh, because uh, 
Do you want to explain that a bit? Maybe some. I I I was actually in Berlin when this happened. Yeah. And there was all these Kurdish flags everywhere. Everyone was really happy. But what what exactly was going on? It was actually like all of a sudden. Uh, no one even before like last year, nobody was even thinking about having a referendum or or getting independent or anything like this. Uh, it was like because this year we had to have another. Uh, election for the Kurdish regional government and parliament and as you might know Barzani which is the Kurdish supposedly prison actually his time was expired two years ago but he never left the chair or you know the place uh, which was a actually a dictatorian things to do but uh, even if people protested, they would have just shut them down. So nobody actually protested against that. Uh, so as we think of it, he just like wanted to get maybe two more years. So he just made all this huge propaganda about uh, wanting a Kurdish independent country. And he just made the decision to make the referendum anyways. Well, he knows and we knew like everyone were against it including united states like the only one who was supposedly publicly was with the kurdish referendum to happen was israel but it was just like a one small interview or one one small short video and that was it like if you were with something was you got it to it like as uh, practical Otherwise, there is no point just saying it. So they were quite happy about that. Yeah, Israel is with us and Israel running stuff underground. So yeah, they were quite happy. But the disaster happens after the referendum because uh, uh, yes, everyone was voting for yes. Because you cannot just stand against having a country for your own self. Uh, but after that, it was just another political game. And as far as I think about it, it was not just the decision of Barzani, the Kurdish leader now. I mean, I he could have been manipulated into making that huge decision. And now everything is getting crazy. The Iraqi army just taking over the Iraqi cities in the other, some, some even the Kurdish cities for himself, because he says now there's no ISIS, there's no point of having the Kurdish army in these areas. And there has been a lot of conflicts and even coalition uh, so many Peshmergas died and also the, from the Iraqi army as well. And be, um, like in the end of having the fight with the ISIS, uh, an army in Iraq just came out of nowhere. They are called Hajdi Shabi. It's like the national army, something like this, translated to the Kurdish, to the English. Uh, they are actually the Shia part of Islam, which is very close to the Iran because Iran are all Shia and especially the Iran Revolutionary Army uh, their leader which which is a which is a guy called Qasem Suleiman like he runs all the Middle Eastern policies and he has to do with anything that happens so as far as I think about it and like I could have a vision about that it has to do with that so Iran is actually trying to get inside because they are with that Shia uh, army. So also, Iran, also with the ruling government. Also with the ruling government because now they are Shia, Shia yeah. as well. 
So if they get inside Iran, then U.S. has to do, like, has to be the big brother and ask them, please go out, it's not your country, and they will not listen. So U.S. again has to get inside, and there could be another war, who knows? Because it seems like it. As as, as much as I see the situation, there, there could be another war and could be now against Iran and it's really scary that it's it's really like just thinking being, it's about becoming it, really obvious thinking you know? about it's very scary but it's very obvious what's going on like it was not a small decision of the Kurdish leader and it was a very huge game of manipulation and he just like fell for it he was like yeah we're gonna get a country no you're not gonna get a country you're gonna get a war in your region yeah you, so. you see as far as the United States goes you have you have the current president wanting to reject the nuclear deal, which, I mean... Yes. Even if it wasn't a perfect deal, it means that it's, it diffuses some sort of tension between the West and, and true, Iran. True, true. Um, doing this and pumping money into uh, Saudi Arabia and then uh, supporting Sa the Saudi war in Yemen which is one of the biggest tragedies. Of, we didn't even talk about Yemen, but it's, it's such a tragedy. It's the poorest nation in the Middle East. Yeah. And, and they're just suffering now. And you have the, the Iranian-backed side fighting the Saudi-backed side. And then you have the, yeah, the Americans there. And then the Saudis just recently, they kidnapped the prime minister of Lebanon. You know this? Yes, I hear that. Like that. <laughs> and it's you. It's the all of the ingredients for a major regional war, and I don't think they. I don't think the region has it in it, and especially the United States and the West. Uh, maybe Russia has enough money, but the United States has been in war majorly for the last sixteen years, and sure. I. This could, if this happens, this could destroy the United States, I think. Not to mention all these, all the countries in the Middle East. It's going to be completely a, a, a disaster and then a, a reshaping of the region again. Yeah, at least, at least economically, it could affect the United States, like, very hard. Very. So. We're, 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 uh, we spent... They are still going for it. <sighs> <laughs> so. It's so fucked. It's... Uh, We've, we've just passed last month $20 trillion in debt. $20 oh trillion. You cannot imagine. We can't, we can't keep spending like this. <clears throat> it, it's insane. And uh, I get really nervous about holding U.S. dollars because uh, we, <laughs> I don't think there's enough time to talk about why. I've gotten really interested in economics and monetary policy recently. And how the United mm -hmm. States is just not handling the dollar very well. It's it's gonna there's gonna be a problem and that's gonna affect the whole world, not just the US. Like a collapse of the US dollar? Could be. Something like that. Oh. And people out there listening might think I'm crazy, but <laughs> No, no. I mean you, 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 you borrow twenty trillion, that you it has to be paid back. Like yes, it's, of it, course. it's not it's not fake money. It's it is kind of fake money because they just keep printing it. But um it's not a, it's it's not this like numbers game that they think it is because you can't just keep printing money and go to war. This is how empires die. Yeah. Like, we 
what's what's really stupid i guess i'll end on this like what's really stupid is that the united states keeps funding arming and training these young rebel groups in this region specifically in uh trapping empires into these wars that they can't pay for and then we fight them <laughs> so we did that with the mujahideen in afghanistan uh, in the 80s we're like hey here's a bunch of money here's a bunch of arms uh we're going to train you with the cia uh this is how you're going to destroy the soviet union you're going to trap them in fighting a, a eight year war with this, with the with you guys in the un unwinnable place of afghanistan and then we just kept doing that to ourselves <laughs> like, Here, here's all this money arms and training and now we're going to fight you it's it's you couldn't even make that up in a movie like yeah, if you said yeah. if you talked about this if you like wrote this into a movie it would no one would believe you but and it's just like, getting repeated like it happens over and over again with everywhere else and in so in Kurdistan they're not really um are they they lean now closer to Iran or well the regime seems um, to be no no now the the situation is like very terrible because Did Iran you... is also against the Kurdish referendum and right. they are against uh, having a Kurdistan country so they but like you said the... they were sort of uh, Barzani was kind of like tricked into uh, in initiating the referendum yes pretty much uh, but not by the by the Iran oh okay no he's not close at all with the Iranian government he's actually very close to the US and Israel and oh, their policies so that that would be the reason why I've said that but now everyone is against us Iran like closed the border before everyone else even before the Iraqi government decide to fly the Orbans you just close the border you want a country you get nothing from us and now when the Iraqi government just came into take his territory back uh, there was like no place to go before when that happened we were always running to Iran and they were always opening the door and now it's all closed we were actually very stuck and even until to this day and this we was, are stuck. this was when you were in transit to come here yeah. <laughs> it was just like very like we were in the middle of having the international film festival our flight got banned uh, many of our international guests couldn't make it because of that decision it was actually very terrible uh, and still it's it's the same and it's getting worse and worse and no one knows what's going to happen so next between the 90s and i guess right now uh it was pretty peaceful and then now it's just in the air right because the the government exactly really it's the, and they 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 move troops into Kurdistan pretty much yeah and they are like they got in very close to to the capital of Kurdistan region Erbil uh, they had a few coalitions very close to the border so yeah it was very crazy and even the US yeah and the UN also like made some comments on that through their mainstream media saying this is not your place, you're not going in. But who knows? They're crazy. Maybe they will go in. And uh, even if it's for a few days or a few weeks, there will be like a disaster happen there. And there was also an ear squeak from God. So it was actually very funny. Like when the, like a few, like one week ago, I think, an ear squeak happened 
in yeah. the Kurdistan region and also a part of Iran. Right. There's actually 7.2 in the Iran Kurdish part, like it killed more than 500 people and thousands of deaths. And then thousands of people without power. And it's, without it's, nothing. It's, it's, it's getting cold there too. It's very cold yeah. there. And so I was actually like, God, this is not, no time for a joke. <laughs> this is not funny. We're having a lot of shits to deal with. Yeah, this is a really... This is not funny, but yeah, well... Yeah. It does... This is a really down way of uh, ending the podcast. We're coming up on our time. But uh, how do you see the future of uh, the, the Kurd, uh, Kurdistan going? Is there a positive uh, view? Is it only negative? Like for a very close future, like the next decade, I wouldn't see any, any points of light. Not in only in Kurdistan, but in the whole Middle East area especially the Iraq and Syria, these countries. Well, maybe after the next decade, something good will happen as a result of what will happen in the next two, three years. So I don't, I'm not really like, I usually not very pessimistic about everything, but I'm very pessimistic about the situation which is, is happening now. After your studies here, or you, were you, are you planning to... Well, the plan is observing the situation. And then if it's like this, uh, and if it stays the same, or as I had some, as I shared some ideas about what could happen, I can never go back because there will be a war, and it's terrible to see my family and everyone is there. Uh, but at least I have to like take care of myself. So maybe I'll just stick around in Europe or. I wouldn't know. Just let's see what's going to happen. Right. Well, let's hope you can go home. I hope so. Safe. All right. Well, thanks for being on the show, man. Thank you very much.